welcome to Defan episode number 55. Uh I think we took a bit of a uh, break uh, for the um, I don't know why maybe it's uh, some sort of a uh, solstice break or what not. Uh, but yeah, we're back. Festivals, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so we're back. Uh, this is Vijay from Holland. Raimondo from Belgium. And we have a special guest all the way from Germany. Hi. I'm Martin. Hello, Martin. So, um, maybe you should introduce yourself, Martin. Yeah, so I'm Martin from Berlin, and I work on this thing called Next Journal, which is a computational notebook. And yeah, we started out a bit differently, but these days it's all written in Clojure. Perfect. I think that uh, this is a closure podcast, by the way. So I think we can we can talk about some closure later. <laughs> we we always get to closure eventually, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. I think the last five minutes are completely about closure. So the rest yeah. of the stuff is uh, mostly nonsense. But uh, yeah. Actually, the last time we met Martin was when you were in Belgium, wasn't it? When you were in Belgium for the uh, for the Heart of Closure conference. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was that was in August, yeah. Yeah, that was. I don't think it, it, it that was a really nice conference. I think we 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 talked about it last time as well. It was super fun. Mm. And um so um Martin, I mean you 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 work at Next Journal in Berlin. So what is Next Journal? Yeah, we are uh, building a computational notebook um with a focus on reproducibility. Mm, lots of buzzwords. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can 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 you explain to us like what is what do you mean by reproducibility? Why why that focus? Uh, reproducibility is yeah about like um, if you like run something today, um, ideally it should also running to be running tomorrow. Or um, that seems like a goal for every program, <laughs> right? But also a problem that yeah everybody who uses a computer. Has yes. experienced <laughs> exactly. Is this the uh, what's it called? Like the, the the ah man, that thing they had in Heroku, the, um, the six factor app or whatever it was, the five factor. twelve twelve factor. twelve factor app, the twelve factor app. Yeah. Is that is it the twelve <laughs> you factor just, app? You just, you just ignored six of them. <laughs> yeah, well, I was rounding down, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we don't need twelve. We, we, we had enough with six. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure how many people did really do twelve, and some of the twelve were actually <laughs> bullshit. But okay. Yeah. Um, but it's a bit like the it's it's a bit like the Ten Commandments. You know, there's a lot of repetition there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we get it. We should worship you. Then there's about three <laughs> left. I think. You know. Anyway, we don't want to get into that. <laughs> So, Martin, yeah, uh, the problem with uh, Heroku, what they were saying was that if you make an app, then tomorrow the the the, the operating systems change, the libraries change, the frameworks change, all these kind of things. Is that is that essentially the problem you have with like computational notebooks as well? Um, well, the problem I think is mostly about like yeah, when you you discover something um, like an interesting paper or something and you, when you try to run it, um, like I've been in this situation a couple of times and it almost never works. And um, yeah, the older the the paper gets, um, the more problems you run into. Um, It's basically, yeah, pretty much impossible down the road to, to get old code to run. 
And, I'm confused by you mean what do you mean by a, an old paper? Is a paper a term um, you use for a, some sort of like a scientific people? paper? Okay. Oh, you mean the like the the experimentation? Sorry, there's no code in the paper. Yeah. Um, no. So, like, yeah, uh, a paper linking to some some code um, on GitHub or yeah, right, right, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's 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 also about so. Oh, now I now I get it. I think uh, because I was thinking next journal is basically like Jupiter or something, but it is more than that. It is more about the journal thing comes out of this scientific research reproducibility. Is that correct? Right. Ah, wow! I feel smart already. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, now I understand a bit more. Okay, but how how does it compare with with Jupiter and other things? So yeah, Jupiter is is basically um, is it's just a Python library um, that gives you some um, this literate programming, so the ability to um, have code cells and have narrative that goes along with them. Yeah, but a lot of things like the um, are outside of Jupiter's domain, like uh, setting up the computational environment. So like the operating system, um, that's nothing that Jupiter takes care of. Yeah. Um, of as well as like, how, how do you get to the data? Yeah. And yeah, with next journal, we built like a system that encompasses all these things and yeah, that uses immutability at all layers of the system. Mm. So you like when you work uh, in the system, the idea is that like without putting in extra effort or much extra effort, um, it's easily runnable in the future as well. So it is a bit like Heroku then for uh, for like scientific papers, in the sense that it's like a platform as a service type thing that you can deploy your your proofs into. Right. Yes. No. Oh, so so next channel is uh, like a. It's not something that I can run on my own hardware. You can't run it locally currently. Uh, that's okay. Something that okay. We're working on currently, it's only in the cloud. So how do you how do you achieve this reproducibility at different layers? Because as Ray was saying, you know, there are like so many moving parts. Like everything is fucking changing left and right. So how do you how do you maintain this? Um, so on the data layer, we we use content addressing. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, when you upload a file or when a cell produces a result, we put this into content address storage and version it mm -hmm. for you. So yeah. that's an append-only storage. Yeah. And uh, regarding the computational environment, we, you can save your whole operating system as a Docker image. Okay. So essentially, the entire operating system plus libraries plus your experimentation code plus the data is the whole thing that is versioned. Right. Okay. So do, do you provide, just a quickie, do you provide like the, um, the base operating systems then, Martin? So you provide like some Linux version or, or other? Yes. Uh, these are also created in notebooks. Well, you specify them in a Docker file or something. Like from you put no, you just have bash cells that can perform whatever installations. Ah, okay. And and you can import Docker images into our system. Right. So we're running our own Docker registry that's also mm. immutable, so you can't delete stuff mm. okay. or rename stuff. And 
we never identify images by their by their tags, but always by their hashes. So, so there is no force push, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Isn't there a, a bit inconvenient in some ways if you can't like a lot of these things? If you can't edit them, if you can't delete them, isn't that a bit inconvenient sometimes? If you if you actually do want to edit them and delete them, well, yes, the lawyers don't find that very. Um, uh, don't like that very much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, currently, like, yeah, when stuff would end up there, um, that shouldn't be there. This would be a manual intervention. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, you know, like people copying AWS keys and shit and whatnot and secrets and, and then <laughs> you're pretty much screwed. But them. also, if you have, uh, okay. I guess you've got like GDPR risks as well. You know, if people are putting personal data on there, like as part of their data set. Yes. Um I mean, we don't publish all this stuff by default. That's that's still like, yeah, even though the data would be in our system, then like, yeah, you still can't really guess the hash, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something yeah to consider and where we'd have to do manual intervention currently. Okay, I think we're we're being like uh, proper software engineers. I mean, just talking about the problems. Yeah. First. Maybe we should talk about the features first. You know, like uh, everybody who opens something, it's always like, oh, how how many ways this system can be bad? <laughs> can we go through all the edge cases first, please. <laughs> or, or, exactly. Let's let's talk about everything. Oh, wait a minute. But what about if I'm running on Nix with whatever the fuck with all you know some sort of a weird uh, anyway? So let's 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 get to the real meat, which is like proper features of this thing. So. Um, this is this is uh, operating system level and like Jupyter, that means you can support any language, right? So you can just use any language you'd like and on the on the journal page. So yeah, we we do support uh, Jupyter kernels as as the runtime protocol. So yeah, you can basically um, use any language that has a Jupyter kernel, and yeah, we also support other protocols like. Okay. So P REPL, yeah, REPL, and yeah, like our own protocol is a bit inspired by by P REPL. Okay, and um, so uh, essentially, you can mix and match the languages within as well. Like, so the data, for example, on in one cell, I produce something using Python, and then in the second cell, I can consume it in in Julia or or whatever. Or is is it possible? Yes, this is possible. Okay, so that could be, but how 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 does the data exchange work then between them? This is uh, then being exchanged through this content address storage. So mm. runtimes can exchange files. Um, yeah, like we had this in an earlier version as well, and this will come back at some point. That like currently it's just these file blobs are being exchanged, and you have to do the parsing mm. um, yourself in the language. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but we'll bring that back to be automatic sometime in the future. Okay. Um, like, yeah, when you pass transit between the cells or, yeah, JSON. Okay. So how, how does the, like, is there multi-user thing? Because it is hosted, right? So at the same time, you can edit that file, whatever you call it, like cell uh, notebook, then I can edit the same thing. Do you handle the, the multi-user thing as well? How does it work? Um, yes, we have collaborative um, editing, like or like via operational transform. Mm -hmm. Yes, so you can work on the same notebook. Okay. Currently, that's that's 
probably i think it, i heard that there is something like crdts and what not for the editing right or is it similar to that one uh, we are using operational transform which is the like simpler version like it it needs a centralized authority mm -hmm. um which crdt does not but okay. um then it doesn't come with the like crdt has this problem that um like the you the document only grows as you're editing it and mm -hmm. yeah with ot which like google docs also uses like yeah it's the central authority that decides what to keep and it's the clients that rebase changes against this central authority mm -hmm. so your server doesn't need to keep all all edits mm -hmm. that were ever made okay so there are you were just, uh, I think, right before we started uh, the episode, you were talking about where did Next Channel come from. So maybe a bit of history. You know, where where did you guys come from, and then uh, uh, can you can you give us some idea? Yeah. So like the the core team, we've actually been working together for like thirteen years now, um, and we started out uh, building this uh, traditional German card game. Which one? <laughs> you, need to, you need to explain the card game to us now in, in an audio fashion. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> so yeah, the the game that we've been running, it's called Schafkopf, and this is only played in southern Germany. This is a like a trick-taking card game. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's you might have heard of Oktoberfest, which is happening yeah. here in Munich. So you. <laughs> <laughs> of course, everybody can imagine like four Bavarians uh, sitting at a table in Lederhosen and uh, Dirndl. So the yeah traditional Bavarian outfit and yeah drinking beer and playing cards. Um, okay, but sorry, what is the game called again? Schafkopf. Schafkopf. It's like sheep's head. Yeah, in German. <laughs> that's that's sheep's head. Yes. <laughs> okay. Is is it like a uh, card game with the playing cards, like the normal cards, or is it special special cards? Yeah, it's a Bavarian version of the normal cards you might know from poker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and and you you guys made an online version of it, right? Yes. Mm. How, is that? Did you met each other at Oktoberfest or? Um... <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine all the thirteen guys in Lederhosen and then sitting together having a beer. Like, okay, let's let's make an online yeah, version after of a it. Few... <laughs> Isn't that how, we, how the community made its first money as well by selling virtual beers at the table? <laughs> wow! <laughs> so, what what was that built on? Um, what is the stack that you guys used for that one? So. In the very early days, um, this was like a Rails website and a Java game server. Okay. And yeah, then it was was like yeah, as it picked up a bit in popularity, we pretty soon experienced all these like Java uh, concurrency pains. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was like we tried tried to fix the Java server for a while. Mm -hmm. But uh, didn't really get that to to work. So, um, like after a while, decided to that it's like yeah, we really couldn't figure out how to fix this. Um, what what, what like, were the actual problems, Martin? Just you know, 
Um, so scaling issues that it would get slow, like with like a thousand concurrent players, and then also uh, it, it wasn't stable. So in the end, it was like this: it would run for two weeks, and there was some like race condition that occurred, and the server would be gone mm. like this. So every two weeks, you have a cron job to restart the server. You have a little Docker um, up there. Yeah. So the fail wheel is up. Like you know. Um, yeah, people were praying for our server. Yeah, the, and... yeah, the, sheep, the sheep's head was severed. But <laughs> yeah. floating it out. Yeah. And yeah, this was with a with a couple of days away from my job, uh, like or visiting RailsConf. I came back and decided to rewrite the thing in Erlang. Oh, okay. Oh. And how did that go? Uh, that went really well. Like this was like uh, three months, um, and um, yeah, then it went live, and yeah, it's been serving us really well to this day. And like okay. Erlang is really incredible there. Like mm -hmm. the ability to like change the code while the server is running. Um, these hot code deployments that Erlang can do. Um, this is yeah for game servers i think it's it's really a great choice okay so the so you went to railsconf and then decided to rewrite it in in erlang right is that because everyone in, everyone at railsconf was basically saying ah <laughs> we're all writing everything in erlang again <laughs> like want to rewrite your code in erlang come to railsconf <laughs> that's their pitch we tell you what not to do with Rails. <laughs> I think this yeah was two thousand eight or something like where yeah there was um, quite a bit of talk about Erlang in the Ruby community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. I think two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, I remember having an Erlang course as well during that time in Amsterdam. Yeah, I mean, I I I couldn't get the syntax. I mean, it was like super archaic way of writing things in Erlang, I think. Right. You kind of feel like, yeah, you're doing this, like, yeah, why is there three ways to, to end, um, yeah, to end a sentence? Uh, with, with the full stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's a bit we call on nothing or full stop. Yeah, yeah. literate programming. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was too illiterate for it. So, um, so you you started with Java, and then you, the same team, switched to Erlang pretty much, uh, for the for the sheep's head, Sh Shopkopf. Shopkopf. Yeah. Shopkopf. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and then uh, you guys are like, okay, enough of the games. Now let's do some serious shit, <laughs> and then move to next journal. Right. This uh, this was a process that yeah took like <laughs> ten years or so. Um, but something so like that. Trying yeah. to, was was the idea that people were trying to somehow prove um, scientific papers via the sheep's head game? <laughs> <laughs> there were enough papers about that, and then they're like, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna try to reproduce the sheep's head." <laughs> But I saw some uh, recently talking about the papers. I saw there was somebody who wrote a paper about um, uh, the fluid dynamics that cause the coffee to spill when you're walking with a mug. 
well, like entire paper, like, you know, all the fluid dynamics and how you're supposed to have them. And then they found out the optimal way, uh, one of the optimal way of having not to spill the coffee is to have the cup in a concentric circles of smaller sizes. So inside of the cup, then then you won't spill the coffee apparently. <laughs> so I guess we need to use NextGeller to find out, like, is this true? <laughs> exactly. Some somebody is funding this <laughs> <laughs> internet. Anyway, so um, so why didn't you guys then? Because you had plenty of experience with Erlang running this highly scalable sheep's head shop cough cough uh, game. Yeah. Um, so how did the next general start in terms of technology stack? Um. This was, yeah, we were starting out um, with uh, Elm and Elixir. So yeah. we, we had like, yeah, from on the backend side had kind of moved like from from Rails and Erlang to Elixir and Phoenix is, is like the Rails framework there. Yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah, on the on the client side, really enjoyed um, Elm when we were starting out, mm-hmm. and did some some exper- experiments with that. And yeah, that's what we did. Uh, did you just decide that everything had to begin with the letter mm-hmm. E? Is that the idea? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad metric, you know. It's it's good so, stuff there. So. Hana, then it's just a prototype, or how did it scale? So, the, yeah, the the own thing, like this, was pretty quickly that we realized, like, well, it had served as well on the things we we did before, which were sort of isolated. Um, mm-hmm. On next yeah. we had to do like a lot of interop with existing JavaScript libraries, and like Code Mirror for the code editing, and yeah. Like a library for this content editable shit browser, mm. and yeah, yeah, yeah. this was, this is really painful in Elm. Like, you get this nice pure language, mm. and with these yeah, pretty amazing guarantees. Like this, it when it compiles, it runs, mm. Mm. which yeah, really is the case. Um, oftentimes, um, it's quite amazing, I think. But yeah, when you want to interop with with other libraries, it just becomes a huge pain. You basically have to talk to this library as if it was an external JSON server somewhere. Yeah, you have to use these ports. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And also, yeah, Elm was undergoing some pretty major changes at the time. So Elm seventeen came out, and yeah, this like did away with like the signal graph, which um, yeah was a, was a pretty essential part uh, until then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this was quite disruptive to the to the ecosystem. And like yeah, all libraries like it took I think months until all libraries would catch up and be compatible again. And yeah, so I figured mm-hmm. we don't really want to go through this like once a year. <laughs> yeah, I think especially coming from language like Erlang, which has been like solid and yes. you know forever, and then uh, and then you switch to this thing like every six months, every three months, you need to keep updating the stuff and rewriting the application. Well, and yeah, for a brief period, we we tried to go back to JavaScript, um, but there we realized oh. this is yeah. 
<laughs> this was definitely a worse idea even yeah did you did you look at the other options as well martin like pure script or um you know things like because pure script is a bit more haskelly isn't it than um than closure script is so it's a bit more like from elm you know and it's a bit more elm. what should we say friendly towards um friendly towards javascript you can just run it i think like um basically um like uh Reason ML or Camel. This was like a yeah. It was a choice between Closure Script and and Reason at the time. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, like Reason was was just getting started, like with their React wrappers. Um, so yeah, we like talked to some people about this, and yeah, they they couldn't recommend it or like said we should be ready for yeah doing a lot of this like early framework or library code um like yeah having to work on that ourselves um mm. and yeah so this made me really like take a serious look at closure script which yeah i i had ignored for the longest time before that like really not seeing through the parentheses <laughs> so did you have did you have any <laughs> idea about closure or closure script at that point martin well, it 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 was recommended to me like uh, a couple of times. I think um, I think like when Stu's book came out, um, I got that as well. Like um, recommended by a friend, and like read it to the first page where I saw some code on it and, and put it away again. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I really like. Yeah, I you'd, you'd actually been through Erlang and you puked at the syntax of closure. Come on, man. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think you already lost that points already when you started with Erlang. Yeah, and we had one of our like one of the freelancers working for us. He he was a fan, but yeah, it also it didn't really get through to me until we were really faced with mm. this problem, like. Yeah, we, we we want a sane functional language, um, and yeah, we we need good interop, and it was also like yeah, running into uh, Matt Hubert at this conference. Um, this was Curry on in twenty sixteen. Um, I think David Nolan was also yeah presenting there, and yeah, yeah. seeing Matt Hubert's uh, like he also worked on this uh, notebook prototype which kind of like uh, cells it was called, which later kind of turned into Maria. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and seeing what, what he had done there um, was was definitely quite impressive and, and made me take a serious look at ClojureScript. So how, how is the front end built? In, so, so now you started picking up ClojureScript. So essentially all the front end is no ClojureScript right now in production? Yes. Okay. So how is the architecture like? Which libraries that you use and how is it being built? Maybe some idea about the frameworks or architecture? Yeah, we're using a Reframe, used that from the start. Mm -hmm. And then what are we using library-wise? Um, we're using Reddit now for the client-side routing. And mm -hmm. yeah, basically sharing uh, views between our closure app uh, to do server-side. So we do server-side rendering on the JVM and um, yeah, have 
have specs that um, convert um, like our um, data from the database like uh, into view data, which which the client requests. Okay, and uh, there is in the, in the backend now. Is there still some Adlang Elixir running? No, we as the more we yeah started getting closure and learning more about it. Yeah, is uh, lasted like I think it took a year after we started with closure script and we had to rewritten everything on the backend as well. How did that go then? Because it's uh, I mean. I would still argue, or we could have an interesting discussion actually about the like the the model for uh, closure on the back end versus Elixir. It seemed quite different. Yeah, but um, like yeah, as I learned about Datomic, um, okay. like yeah, so yeah, with a with a like yeah for for a site focusing on reproducibility, yeah, I think Datomic is really. A great fit. Mm, um, yeah. So yeah, for example, we don't want to don't want to break any links, um, but yeah, we also don't want to do um, all this housekeeping work ourselves from the start. Um, and yeah, with Datomic, we just know yeah we we can always recover information and and yeah set up redirects later, even if we don't have to. Uh, do all this work from the from the start. Okay, so before before switching to Datomic, what was the data storage? Uh, Postgres, yeah. Okay, so you you were maintaining essentially immutable quote unquote immutability in Postgres by just appending or copying the data. Right, using event sourcing basically for for each notebook. Mm. Yes. So just so we get this straight, then so you were doing closure script in the client. Did you do closure and Postgres, or did you say, okay, no, I'm just we, now we know Datomic, we're going to rewrite the backend in closure to serve Datomic plus? Yes, that's that's what we did. Yeah, it, like um, we, it it wasn't really that we wanted to use uh, closure from the start, but we really wanted to use Datomic. No, but it also didn't seem sensible, yeah, to to use Datomic with our Elixir backend, really. So. At first, we started swapping out like just a part that's yeah reading and writing data, and eventually also this code execution part. Okay, so how how is that? Because I can imagine that, uh, as you said, the entire is that called a notebook? Like every every project, or what is the nomenclature there? Is one the document thing is a notebook? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So one notebook is one Docker image. Does it? How does it work? Uh, no, so one notebook um, is basically one uh, VM instance that we mm -hmm. do for you to execute code, and you can have more than one uh, Docker image. Like if you use like three different libraries, or you can uh, three different languages. Sorry, or can also use like yeah four Python runtimes that use different Docker images. Yes. Yeah. And now, how does the um, because I can imagine Erlang and Elixir are more or less native because they have like a, you can call all the operating system level things. Um, so the VM management and Docker image management, this also happens via Clojure. Um, yes, there we are using yeah this uh, Spotify Docker. It's a 
to a Java library yeah, to do this oh, Docker stuff. Okay. And Docker under the okay. hood is also just a yeah, HTTP daemon, basically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you interact with Closure Java libraries and then Closure and then... Yes. Okay. Impressive. And and where is where is your next channel running? Is it on your own cloud stuff or we run on on Google Cloud? Uh, so how does it compare with the Google Collab, by the way? Because Google had this a uh, Collab thingy, uh, yeah. Yeah, Collab is is pretty much that's just a Jupyter uh, front end, mm-hmm. basically. Um, yeah, so you also can't can't store like Docker images there. Um, can't store like for data storage, it also then just uses um, um, what's it called? The Google, the Spanner. Yeah, Google Big uh, Table and whatnot, or Google Cloud Storage yeah. Spanner. Yeah, no Google Object Storage or something. Yeah, or oh, just a um, uh, Google like Drive S- or S3? something. Um, oh yeah, right, right. Store. It it stores the the notebook into Google Drive. Yes, yes. So I guess that one one of the uh, things about um, Google, or, or one of the things about Datomic, is that it has this cloud version that runs on Amazon, but doesn't run on Google. So I guess you have to run Datomic yourself in the Google Cloud. Yes, we're we're running uh, the on-prem version. I always think it's funny to run the on-prem version in the cloud, you know, but yeah. on the cloud, it's not that funny, I guess, really. <laughs> well, then your your cloud essentially becomes your data center, right? It doesn't. It's not like real cloud, but you just Take some VMs. Was before there, yeah, there was a Datomic cloud that we migrated, mm. and okay. then we would have also had to switch to AWS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how 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 was the transition? Like, how do you how do you compare uh, the backend in Elixir or Erlang with the backend in Clojure? Yeah, I I think it went went fairly well. There's still a a Couple of things that I sometimes miss from from the Beam VM, um, mm-hmm. like I feel like yeah, core async or yeah, concurrency definitely like this is this is just a bit safer in Erlang Elixir. Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah, you can shoot yourself in the foot more easily with core async. On the other hand, yeah, this uh, this like this interop enclosure script, it's. Uh, or enclosure, it's it's really nice. Like being able to know, like we we don't use it at this point yet, but like being able to like do really fast uh, number crunching, like um, when you want to parse or archive parts of data, like to know that there's all these libraries for the JVM, um, yeah, which wouldn't exist for for the Beam is really nice. Mm. And performance-wise, did you see? Because I usually you hear, uh, or at least uh, you know, on, on the internet at least, like people saying, "Okay, you can run crazy amount of uh, users per machine, whatever on Erlang." Um, so how 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 in your experience, how is Clojure scaling compared to Erlang? Um, yeah, we don't have this this problem yet, um, unfortunately. <laughs> unless unless you move your sheep's head. <laughs> Into closure, <laughs> right? But we're not going to touch that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Don't touch the working system. <laughs> yeah. No. So I can't. I mean, it's 
it's definitely like yeah I, th I think it it's hard to write like something that scales as well as like an Erlang web server or like if you want to do this like WebSocket communication and things it's yeah there it's really a perfect match there and the way that yeah. VM uses all the cores mm -hmm, mm -hmm. effectively yeah. and like it doesn't care what you do in in one process it's never gonna um, like halt the whole system. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's that's gonna be hard to, or it's it's harder to do this in closure than it is in in Erlang. I think. Yeah. And is the is the Beam VM also GC driven thing, like like JVM? Uh, yes, but um, it's it's pretty simple the GC because every pro like processes don't share any state. Um, mm. Yeah. So a message that's sent to another process is just copied. Um, okay. Basically, and it's just binaries that are garbage collected on the. Mm. Um, yeah, but simple terms are just yeah copied, basically. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it's a bit more, um, not a bit more. That's why it's more efficient. Well, one of the things that that uh, I know, I mean, whether I don't know if Rich would say this himself, but like one of the criticisms that he seems to have of um, Erlang is the actor model. You know, because it's not as you have to send messages. It's not as expressive as um, as uh, as like transit or even is in terms of message passing or you know function passing. Um, is that something that you found as well, or is it something that you you haven't it hasn't concerned you? Well, I definitely think we are we are writing code a bit differently now in Clojure, like. Um, there's like yeah when you have these processes there is quite a bit of of ceremony also setting up yeah then getting them to talk to each other mm -hmm. and yeah and closure you realize yeah you're yeah maybe you need your your state only at the very edge of the system right and and do a lot more with um, pure functions um, mm. yeah so yeah I'm kind of with with rich by now on this I think. <laughs> <laughs> you have been indoctrinated properly. You swallowed the blue pill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, on a lot of things. Um, what What would be nice if I think yeah, the, we had sort of this this trade off that um, Erlang and Elixir um, makes, like for building like stable systems, or um, that we um, like. We are we are running at a bit uh, less top speed, basically, um, but therefore we we don't have to worry about locking. Like, mm -hmm. so the Beam VM when it when a process does something, it counts like how many operations it does, and then after a while mm -hmm. it it exits it, uh, like it stops this process and and lets the thread do something for some other process, right? It's like a yield, yield. It's like a what do they call it? Uh, like a yield, uh, like a, a continuation. It, yeah, continuation okay. process. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so that's a bit slower in yeah in in top speed basically. Like yeah, um, but yeah, you don't get these things like when you do a blocking read or something. It it can't hold your whole whole thread. Hmm. So what are the things that you, other than this one, so what other things do you miss from Erlang when you're writing things in Clojure? 
Well, I think like with Phoenix, the the getting started um, experience, um, like yeah, it's this frameworks versus libraries debate, right? There's yeah. there's definitely two sides to that. Um, like I remember, like getting started, like diving into the closure ecosystem was very overwhelming for me, and like mm-hmm. you you have to make like. Yeah, you think you settle on this language, but um, yeah, that's when all the choices basically start. Mm. Um, and yeah, it goes down to so many levels. Um, and yeah, it's it's also like, I guess, coming from this or yeah, these choices aren't as consequential as as they are to uh, pick Rails or Phoenix or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, you're, I was coming from this place where I thought they would be as consequential, and then it's quite stressful to make them all. Like, yeah. So you have to at every point you have to make a decision which library yeah, you're going to use right, and how it is right, going to blah blah blah. And yeah, am I right or wrong? <laughs> basically. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 But that that is, I think, um, one of the biggest. Uh, concerns or, or I would say even complaints. Every time I see on Reddit or something, people asking for, okay, how do I start building web application? Because there is Duct, there is Yada, there is Composure, there is, you know, okay, if you go to a level below, there is Ring. And um, uh, of course, Luminous is helping you in setting up a template. But then th- it also gives you a lot of choices, like which one you want to use for front end and the back end and every other library. Yeah. I think Rails Rails did that pretty well, I think. No, I definitely like this this getting started. Yeah. Like I I mean when we made the choice to like yeah, move to pedestal, um like I think yeah, we didn't get anything like it took us like two weeks to get the very basics. Yeah. Like who's swallowing my logging output and <laughs> stuff like that. Um Yeah. I think this is this is definitely a big uh issue. Um for especially for the getting started experience, uh, I would yeah, say. I think you get that time back uh, later in the process. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, I I think you can also maybe have both uh, sides there, really. But yeah, um, totally. I think that that's the that's the thing. I think when 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 you start and then um, you don't have this getting started experience, and then you build something. And you are already past the advanced beginner stage, so you don't look back anymore because you already know. And once you cross that boundary, then people don't think about how it is like to be at, at, yeah. at that level. So it is always uh, tricky. But these days, I think, it, at least for the front end and other stuff, things have become a bit more uh, reasonable. I think pedestal times were different. Yeah. No, I, de- I definitely think, yeah. Um, also, like, yeah, we had our fair struggle with uh, tooling. and Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like, we we started with lining in, then moved to boot, then back to lining in, um, mm-hmm. and then finally to two steps and, yeah. and figure it in. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it was also, like, yeah, got some good help there from Arne, yeah, who's running Lambda Island and... Part of yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like without that, like I think we would have been uh, pretty lost there as well. Um, like, yeah, we just that's true. I think it's it's a bit of a shame, right? Because especially when when the language and everything else is so stable and so um, attractive to to build systems, and then the whole beginner experience is kind of 
uh, tricky for people when you, you've been writing software for decades and then you come to it <laughs> you come to expect some things when you start with the language <laughs> and a simple thing like build tool has like two different communities and three different communities now yeah but it's i mean maybe it's also this two uh yeah these two sides of the coin like yeah how how powerful and and productive you can be right um yeah yeah that's true yeah yeah personally i think by the way that um you know i think this uh this this notion that a framework is like the greatest thing for, for me <clears throat> it's a bit of a problem because i think like you say martin you know everything is like consequential if you if you've got this like big decision to make at the beginning of the uh of, of your project then you know you're very reluctant to change from rails to something else you know whereas with closure the you know you, you start with pedestal and then you move to something else and you top out the route and everything is more composable so so i think i think it feels a bit daunting at the beginning this like beginner experience because you haven't got all your choices defined in one like like neat package um but on the other hand, I think the fact that you you can make your own framework essentially out of parts is is quite attractive. You know, you don't have to commit to um, to a very big ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, you also don't. Yeah, I I learned this over time. Um, yeah, if if I was to tell my yeah three year ago self yeah to not stress out about this so much yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of um, tooling, so Emacs or some other shit. So you know, how, how, what do you guys use at Next Channel? Uh, yeah, SpaceMax these days, and mm. yeah, um, there finally some reasonable choice. <laughs> <laughs> there, I think it's also yeah. This is also like this was very painful for me in the beginning because of questions like this. Um, you think <laughs> like yeah, I can't. There's no other way for me to do closure than Emacs. <laughs> <laughs> VJ still believes that, yeah. But by the way, I mean, you, you come from Erlang, and I know. Um, I think uh, late Joe Armstrong, he he uses e he used Emacs all the time, right? He was using Emacs for Erlang. And yeah, he's another. So, so I think it's uh, as as Ray was. Um, I think he he's very rarely <laughs> right, and and he said that you know any software that starts with E. <laughs> <laughs> So that is something that uh, that I think uh, he was right. Like using Emacs <laughs> is the only way. But but how? how so your your team uses everybody uses Emacs for the for the closure script and closure as well. Or mm, we have yeah. So we have a shared uh, SpaceMax config that's used by um, most of us. We have one IntelliJ person as well. <laughs> one is using VI. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually other way around. I think there'll be. I'm usually the Emacs guy, and then <laughs> rest of everybody is using IntelliJ or something, <laughs> or even VS Code and whatnot these days. And <laughs> also, yeah, I don't have to touch my my config. I'm just telling my colleague Dieter to. <laughs> I have this problem. Can you please figure this out? Yeah, just out of interest. I mean, I mean, we kind of often joke about these uh, editors, but um, you know, we we none of us at at my work, none of us use Emacs. We all use um, IntelliJ. Um, but I don't personally. I don't feel like it really affects our workflow too much. But I get the impression from Emacs people that no, it kind of does. So, I don't yeah, know. Exactly. You know, 
What, what's what's your what's your feeling? Uh, I think maybe it's Martin can answer this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, he's the guest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can rant on this shit forever so. oh no I, I actually missed one we have one uh, person um, yeah using Adam with par and fair okay. and yeah okay. he's very happy with uh, this and yeah that's what I would definitely recommend for for getting started as well like do you use par and fair then and, and with no, IntelliJ or well. Man, I know. I mean, uh, you know, I'm aware of it, but um, I, <laughs> I'm too. I'm too. I'm too used to the uh, the bath and slurping and all this kind of like chord movement around. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, the problem is, I mean, I think to, again, I think it's one of these things where if you if you were starting today with with um, with with cursive or something, you probably would go with par infer because why wouldn't you? But um, but when I first started, it wasn't available, so I, you know, you ha I had to learn these these other commands, and now it sort of feels yeah. Like I've got I'm kind of used to it, you know. I think it's like the Emacs people who are kind of used to their way of doing things. Um, but I, I've used Power Info for like I, I I made a web a web REPL and I use Power Info there, and it and it works quite well, you know. So and I like it a lot, you know. But I just don't use it every day. Do you? Does Parinfo work on uh, on? I don't think it works on Emacs, does it? Parinfo? No, no. Uh, I think there was a there was one port at some point, but obviously, you know, Paradit is the is the yeah. way to edit the code anyway. <laughs> so it's it's been there for well, twenty five years. I think Emacs doesn't have enough editor affordances, does it for um, for Parinfo? I'm not joking about that. I think it's because it reads from the <laughs> REPL. It doesn't it doesn't know what's going on. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, Parinfo is just the editor side of it, right? It, it just indents the stuff based on. No, but it gets typing. information and from like where the cursor is and where where the what the previous and next that steps are. And oh stuff yeah, like yeah, that, so. yeah, 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 yeah. I think the Emacs editor model is a bit different uh, compared to the other ones. Yeah, that's true. But uh, as you're saying, I think I, I think it makes sense that I mean, regardless of which editor we use, I think in in closure world, it's pretty much like whether. You can send a snippet to REPL yeah, and then yeah, get the yeah, feedback. Yeah. And that's once that is set, it doesn't matter, right? You know, every editor, the the, the editing experience is basically what what you're used to, but the whole building the program experience is pretty much the same, I think. In every, well, I wonder about the pairing part of things because, like, we when we pair, we always pair. You know, we pair with um, IntelliJ, and I kind of know what's going on. I can see what's happening, but yeah, I don't know if it affects your pairing experience, yeah. Martin, when you're doing like. Like someone's doing Emacs and someone's doing VI, or you know, when when you've got like a a, a heterogeneous environment for editors, you know what? <laughs> yeah, it's problematic when I'm uh, yeah. So we usually let the person drive that's that's using yeah, sure, his sure, setup, yeah. but then yeah, I'm <laughs> like reaching over, <laughs> then I can't do anything there. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. I think this is this is something I'm I'm facing a lot these days because I'm working with the folks who are mm. using VS Code and whatnot, and and on Windows and and all the things that are burnt into my fingers because of Magit and all that stuff and and I need to go there and then type some weird shit to to get to <laughs> get to just commit some things or stage and it's just really painful. I mean, once you, especially if you use Space Max and then it's like three. 
keys that I need to mm. type to get to the Git status and everything. And then there I need to figure out. Yeah, anyway, VJ, we're down in the weeds of your editor sense, experience yeah. here, which is fucking fascinating, mate, I tell you. But maybe as <laughs> we get back to Next Journal. <laughs> <laughs> so, Next Journal, does it support Emacs key bindings? <laughs> <laughs> and if not, why not? <laughs> That's the bigger question here. Exactly. <laughs> we demand it now. <laughs> Uh, honestly, that's what I'm. I think I'm most interested in, like, yeah, to learn from Emacs, um, yeah, as this uh, system that does everything, which kind of is is an external yeah, aspiration yeah, as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> all we need is next journal mode for Emacs. Yeah, years after working on next journal, well, did you hear about org mode, which does everything you've been? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's pretty much everybody's answer in Emacs community. You just go there and then tell them something. Oh, what you did? <laughs> did you hear about this .dot el? <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so um, in terms of building the front end though for next journal, so what what, what type of challenges did, did did you face? And maybe uh, similar, maybe the, the like an additional question for that. Like now you have closure everywhere. How much is the code sharing between these two? Um, so in terms of challenges, um, yeah, I think it was less on the on the closure script side. Um, like we've been really struggling a lot with this content editable stuff, and yeah. this has almost been like yeah, switching out libraries. There has been also like a yeah, almost like like a rewrite of its own of the of the front end. Um, what does content editable mean, Martin? Maybe I miss. I, I don't quite understand that. When um, this is this browser stuff where you can like type HTML in the browser. Um, so whenever you're editing text and you want the native browser selection to work, you have to deal with right, this okay, content okay. editable yeah. stuff, like like the original browsers. And that's uh, yeah. That's <laughs> I hear it's the like worst API of the browsers. Um, uh, like, yeah, every every browser does this differently. Like what happens when you copy and paste and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, we started out like um, in our original model, um, like each node that we had, like each paragraph um, would be would be like represented by yeah, a closure script object and um, so and we only use the editor like for the small paragraph would be each its mm-hmm. individual editor, and but then yeah you can't select across these boundaries and um, so in terms of the like Notion does this as well like if you've used that like you notice when you select more than one paragraph it draws this their own custom selection. Yeah, yeah. Notion is the um, is the note editor, right? Note note taking yeah 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 i used it uh, for like a like a trial or something for some time yeah and yeah so so we like earlier this year decided to yeah to move to a like a proper content editable document so yeah you get your selections working nicely and yeah this was another thing like i think we estimated this to take like six weeks and then it was almost half a year whoa 
but but it is is not really a closed script challenge no, this was yeah. yeah so like it's mostly more the, the dealing with yeah these um these yeah javascript um these things that are just hard in a browser mm-hmm. um other than that like yeah tooling definitely was a problem um this has really gotten like yeah with tool steps and fig wheel main um yeah we've like especially doing like we we have like i think six uh javascript targets um mm-hmm. and yeah fig wheel main has this extra mains thing now where you can use the same closure script process or closure process to compile all those um mm-hmm. this yeah basically um yeah, made our compile times much saner. Uh, and what else did we struggle with? I mean, the server-side rendering was, yeah, that's, I guess, a bit of a pain sometimes to deal with the differences. Like, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, now we, like most of our code, like all the view code and stuff is now CLJC. And okay. yeah. That now works pretty well. No, I think yeah, we're really happy with how things are going on the closure script side. Okay. So and then how is the how much code is shared between server and the and the client? Um more and more. Like yeah, so the view code is shared. Um the routing we're still um that's on our to-do list. Uh, currently we still have yeah separate routers want to move um to reddit on the server as well yeah um and yeah currently the the thing that's closure only is like this code execution stuff and mm. yeah the pedestal handlers and yeah this stuff so are you are you using a kind of classic rest api on the back end then martin um no i wouldn't call it uh classic rest um so we're basically um like when a when a client requests a page um it gets served just the data it needs to render this template as transit um and right. and when the, we're render like passing like we have this like where you normally on the closure side would would render this and pass in your view data to this function but we're doing the same call on the on the client and passing it the same data so like the first time you first uh, visit a site, you get the server-side rendered thing. And mm-hmm. then um, like ClojureScript kicks in um, and uh, yeah. gets the same data, renders the same page, basically. And then the client-side routing takes over. OK. And, and how does this, um, because you said there can be multiple language cells yes. in this thing. so. If I open next general notebook and then start typing R or uh, Python, so those processes are started on the server side and then still being routed. The data is routed to them, and then how how is that working in the backend? Okay, so this uh, we're also using pedestals interceptors for this for the code execution. So yeah, you're mm-hmm. you're say you have a, some Python cell and yeah, type one two three in it. Press run. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, then we get this request. Um, 
like then we figure out like we don't have an instance to run this on then yeah we assign you an instance um mm -hmm. boot this up and then yeah we take this run request and um then figure out like we use these pedestal interceptors as well to figure out like what's the current state of this um we call this runner and like mm -hmm. what what needs to happen to serve this request like um first i need to like download this docker image i need yeah. to boot this runtime process and then i can start executing this cell and that makes sense up to here. So is this is this your uh, is this a kind of uh, what should we say a kind of imperative protocol or a kind of declarative protocol or how 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 do you do this? Because I imagine that this is quite gnarly to uh, to <laughs> to work out what the various code paths are or what the various um, you know what, what the uh, computer the various permutations of this. Um... We have um, this is the yeah. Um, like a first interceptor that's sort of like similar what would be a router um like in a web app is figuring out like um i have this request and what kind of work needs to happen as a consequence of it mm -hmm. and then it enqueues other interceptors that do the actual work like yeah uh, download this docker image and and boot up this runtime and then execute the cell and so essentially, you capture the um, STD error and STD out from that process, or how do you get the output back? Right. Um, yeah. This is then. Yeah. This is what the runtime protocol then does. Um, okay. Yeah. Then you have like yeah, it can either be PREPL or Jupyter or yeah, our own thing. Before we move on, now I mean, just maybe it's just so because uh, I'm interested in this uh, this how this web protocol works because uh, I still. Still feel like it's uh, I haven't quite got it in my head yet. So you you get essentially a request coming in, and it goes on one part of the router, uh, the router, whatever you call it, um, and then and then that 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 it triggers some some sort of payload or something that triggers what 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 is the next? What it, it must be some sort. Is it a dynamic suite of like interceptors, or is it like more declarative in your side? Um, yeah. So yes, these are this is one interceptor that does this planning work, right? And right, then it right, yeah, uses yeah, other yeah. interceptors to perform the side effect. And so the pl the plans are predefined, essentially. Um, yes, predefined. Yes. You know what the you know what the possible plans are that will that will run, or do you? Is that something which you which you kind of like spirit up um, at the time of the request? Well, yeah, you look at the, the server's state, like, yeah, if if this runtime is already running, right, I don't need to boot it, for example. Sure, right? Sure, right. Um, and, and we just have this separate planning interceptor that, like, we can, we can test this declared, like, what the inter what this interceptor returns, it's, it's just this new context map. Right, with right. Interceptors okay. and queued, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, okay. So we can test yeah. this. Um, yes. Yes. Without performing any effects. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, so that's declarative in in a sense. Who is the target audience right now? Is it only people who are writing scientific papers, or is it actually targeting like uh, Jupiter and data scientists and all this stuff as well? Well, 
good question. Um, <laughs> uh, we we're going a bit back and forth on this. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's um, like it's heavy on academics currently. Um, mm. But yeah, there's definitely some some people that um, yeah want to do traditional data science. Um, yeah. The, the idea would be to have like a GitHub kind of model. So yeah, people using it in, in public, using the product for free, um, like mm -hmm. using it in the open. And yeah, people will, that want to use it in private uh, should pay for it. Um, but yeah, our pricing the way, like we're making some changes to the pricing, like currently can't even uh, try it out in private, like to get secrets management, for example, you have to sign up for a paid plan. Um, yeah. And yeah, making it easier for people to try it out, um, like with five private notebooks. And yeah. And then hopefully we'll also get more people using it for traditional data science stuff. So, what's next for the next journal? So, what is on the roadmap? What's next? Um, like, I think we, um, what do we want to do? Um, like, the import, uh, or like, I think we want to um, like do a lot better on interop um, with GitHub. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, we're we're definitely noticing that there's quite a few people that yeah would like Next Journal, um, like would like their notebooks to be runnable by Next Journal, but they don't necessarily want to use the UI to create these notebooks. I mean, there's oh. there's tons of notebooks already out there, like be Jupyter or um, some markdown format and like yeah. getting these to easily import and run and um, only updating them on GitHub and then syncing them to next journal. Um, that's one of the main areas where we want to focus. I'm trying to remember there was another service that starts with a B, I think, uh, that does similar kind of things like on-demand free notebook. Uh, maybe was, um, I think, a notebook. Is that it? Mm, I'm not sure. It's it's a pretty obscure name. I only remember the first letter was B, but <laughs> probably I'll remember at some point because they had the similar kind of idea like the GitHub for for notebooks, pretty much, uh, but not like you, like extensive reproducibility or something. It's just like a, uh, it might be in my browser history at some point. I need to look it up. Um, but this is, this is so um, essentially, if I have a, a repository with notebooks in GitHub, I can just pull them into Next Journal and then I can uh, work with them. Yeah, that's the, that, uh, that's right? the idea, yeah. And like getting. Okay. Like, yeah, I think the notebook format would be nice for, yeah, tutorials. Yeah. And yeah, like, um, yeah, I guess this this whole interop story, like making making it as easy as possible for people to get their content in and keeping it up to date. Um, yeah, that's where we can spend a lot of time still. So you mean like uh, you mean having some sort of hooks into the GitHub API to do that at the back end? Yeah. 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 Nice. So um, I think we have ah, just to finish almost one hour. Um, any final thoughts, <laughs> questions? 
questions. Have you got, <laughs> so when are you going to yeah, have you got any questions, Martin? Come on, mate. You know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Ask VJ about his uh, about his Emacs config. <laughs> we want we want another hour of content yeah, that, after that, all. You know? Of course, you know we're going to spend until uh, you know advent of Emacs. We're going to spend more time on that one. <laughs> Are you also so, not um, getting any work done because of advent of code or? Oh, um, I, I, this, this year I started doing it in Rust. That basically means um, I'm, I'm just stuck yeah. on everything, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> so I, I got until day three so far in Rust. Um, it's been, um, it's been fun because I have no fucking clue how to do even loops mm-hmm. or anything like that. And especially when I start using this closure way of thinking like just having an iterator and then start to iterate over it using map or whatever and, and different things then everything is fucked up because i have no idea what borrowing means and um it keeps gi- giving me weird errors and shit and it's been some time since i use scala so on on rust what happens is if you if you call an iterator if you split a string then the type that you get back is a split Let's not get into so this, though. The type Come on. Name Let's is not get into it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really need an hour of your Rust content. So, you know, that's a, there's no podcast for that. So, <laughs> so I just spent like uh, I don't know um, uh, 200 hours so far yeah. trying to figure out that <laughs> shit. So I'm I'm stuck at day, day three now, and day three one first well, part. I'm is beating. Over now, I'm you beating know? you. Then, but maybe I think I'm, I'm at day five with closure. But uh, <laughs> but day five is tough. I mean, day five looks like a nightmare. You know, but I I don't know. Okay, I don't know, and 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 you're doing it as well. No, um, I I'm um I want to do sick P before I start on on ad. Uh, so right. will be a couple of years still. <laughs> <laughs> but you're really going to do it perfect at that point, yeah. though. Yeah, it's, uh, you're going to nail it. Absolutely, but it seems like fun though. I think uh, I'll, I'll I'll catch up on closure maybe uh, during the Christmas time once I have some time. Uh, maybe in the weekend sometime but every day doing it is not going to be and and what i realized is that advent of code is not really an advent of code it's advent of math of maths <laughs> it's kind of bullshit that they call it code because it doesn't make much sense because it's it's more about thinking mathematically and then representing that in your language rather than solving a code problem i think well there's a, there's a yeah. there's a joke that uh that bork dude made which i think is um uh, you know, we uh, Rich says don't do don't do uh, solve solve problems, not puzzles. You know, but ex- except except for Christmas, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're allowed to solve some puzzles sense. this yeah, month. Yeah. Yeah, in our spare time. <laughs> and also, I saw that uh, I think it's probably Michiel or somebody retweeted as like a nerd sw- sniping. Like, if there is a problem, we we want to solve it. Like. They just put it somewhere in front of you, and then you're, you're attracted to solving that shit, regardless of oh, yeah, what kind of like problem it is. And the light, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway. Nice. Okay. So, just a quickie before we head off. I mean, just a final point, actually, because I think this is something yeah. which is a bit, you know, would be interesting to get from you, Martin. Is like the, you know, we, you're in Berlin, and it's like the beating heart of closure in Europe is in Berlin. So, how do you find like the closure community there? Are you involved in it quite, quite, uh, quite a lot, or is it something which you just sort of, you know? No, uh, yeah, I was, I was really surprised, like, yeah, getting like how 
like yeah how big and nice every or like yeah how big the community is how nice everyone there is and like that it's almost like yeah i found there to be like an inverse hiring problem like <laughs> enclosure in yeah, there's there's really good people um that that use closure and they're like now it's getting more and more that are doing it full time as well but yeah it's it's a great community there for sure um and yeah was quite surprised that yeah berlin really seems to be uh yeah special in that regard um as yeah how big it is and and yeah how much is happening and and speaking of berlin i think closure d is announced and then uh, it's going to happen on february something 23rd somewhere uh, let me get that right and the call of call for papers is still open i think or get your tickets uh yeah 29th february in berlin so i think that's that's happening yeah i'll be there also at bobconf the day before it's also sounds nice mm. yeah so it's a nice uh, gathering of uh, all the berliner closure people yes. and there's a data science uh, meetup happening around closure d as well yeah is it the day before on friday or is it uh... i'm not sure if it's been i think bobconf is the day before so they were thinking of doing it thursday or sunday i think yeah uh, okay okay hmm. it'd be great to have that one as well i think uh, the one that you're talking about is the uh, daniel uh, started I think he he was there at uh, closure uh, closure tray as well. Yeah, right? I wasn't there. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, and this might happen at our office. I think depending Ooh. on how many people sign up. So yeah, if too many sign up, okay. then we <laughs> move to. <laughs> <laughs> then it'll move to some other place. Okay, that's oh, nice. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really nice talking to you, Martin. I think uh, the the whole journey of going from uh, one language to the other and then you know how you discovered the the coziness of uh, <laughs> of parenthesis <laughs> and then finally you realize that emacs is the only tool uh, i think that's a that's a really nice discovery and then you know reach you have peaked with emacs already <laughs> are we going to stop this uh, <laughs> come on <laughs> no i think we need to talk about emacs more uh, but <laughs> wind it up man come on wind it up <laughs> It's a, it's a fascinating project, and I'm pretty sure that you know. Uh, I, I only use Jupiter these days, but I'm curious how 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 far you take Next Journal, and especially I think these days of uh, people producing papers without any. This is one of the biggest problems that I see in the scientific yes, community yes, that yes, the yes, whole yes. reproducibility is not there at all. So people talking bullshit, and then uh, you end up with no data available, mm -hmm. no reproduction path available, mm -hmm. no one can verify their claims. I think in a way this is um, not just technically but also i think you know socially mm -hmm. an important tool that you're building i i think so it's it's really awesome and, and it's really awesome that you're building it in closure and closure script <laughs> and emacs <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so congratulations on the continued success of sheep's head <laughs> and uh, and hopefully you know you guys will uh, do some amazing work with next channel as well and uh, so people can go to nextchannel.com and then sign yes. up. Or, up. Okay. And, yeah. Um, can do, yeah, pl play with it for free pretty much. We're going to 
make those pricing changes soon. So you can also yeah use all the secrets management and stuff. And yeah, you can run stuff on GPUs and Ooh. Okay. typically a pain to set up. Yes. <laughs> so you're solving a big problem for people to start up with the with the data science and those kind of things as well. And yeah. for all closures, like we're right now we're thinking, um, yeah, if we're gonna have to integrate par and fair or par edit or um mm-hmm. yeah, and which to make default. So yeah, anybody who has an opinion on that should please reach out. Yes. So uh tweet at uh, next channel. Yes. Or uh, Martin's uh, tweet that we'll put it in the in the description. So that's it from us for today, I think. And a big thanks for our patrons, Patreons. Uh, we have a couple of new folks uh, helping us as well. And uh, we have another episode scheduled pretty soon um, that we're going to record next week. So hopefully this episode will be out in, uh, in one or two weeks once our uh, engineer comes back <laughs> from vacation. <laughs> Yes, we might get Martin for Santa Claus, you never know. Yes, exactly. So, that's it, episode number 55. Uh, See you guys and girls and folks, everybody again in the next episode. Thank you. Bye-bye.